Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. The very best way I can introduce you to today's guest, B, is by reading what she wrote about her own storied recipe, which is a marbled Brazilian carrot and chocolate cake with chocolate glaze. Here's what she said. It was hard for me to pick a recipe, to be honest, because I feel like my baking has grown to be a colorful mix of the places I've lived in, Brazil, the US, and Germany. So I felt like the right thing for me to do was to suggest a recipe that is rooted in my childhood memories, my mom's Brazilian carrot cake with chocolate glaze, but that I made my own through the experiences I've had learning how to bake on my own. The marbling is a really good metaphor to represent the person you become when you live abroad, I find. The flavors work together to form a whole, but are distinct enough to never fully disappear within each other. This is how I see myself at the moment too. Made up of different cultural streams that flow together, for the most part, very harmoniously. Isn't that lovely? I think there's a lot of people out there that really identify with what B just said there. For my own part, I have a bit of a personal connection to B um, now because she actually encouraged and advised us along the way as my son Jack applied to a German university where he has now been accepted as in, and is studying um, physics. Now, B is in Germany, um, in Dresden, a city very close to my son, and she recently defended her master's dissertation about an Italian painter who was instrumental in changing the reason and the ways that food were depicted in Renaissance artwork. I was lucky enough to get a copy of her dissertation, uh, translated into English, of course, which was fascinating and actually made me think about food in ways we've never even discussed in over 150 episodes of this podcast so far. So as you move into listening to this, uh, it is a longer episode, it's almost two hours, and I just want you to know that it's divided into three parts. The first is about 20 minutes, it's a conversation about Germany and comparing experiences of living abroad, and of course now for me having a child who is living abroad. And then uh, after the first 20 minutes, we go into a section which is about 45 minutes long, and in this section we talk to be about uh, her dissertation and these very um, famous six paintings. And then finally, we hear about, for the last 45 minutes or so, um, B's story of growing up in literally a tropical paradise. This is one of the most beautiful places in on the earth where she grew up um, alongside or within a very lively and intellectual family, how she found her calling as an artist and then made her way to cold and rainy Germany <laughs> to do her uh, dissertation and what has uh, transpired in the last, last years since she's been there. So if any of the portions of this interview don't interest you, that's fine. Um, just skip around. Again, it's a 20 minute section about 45 and another 45 and I put those um, timestamps in the show notes. 
For me, however, there was no chance that I was cutting any part of this conversation. I enjoyed every moment of it. I could have continued to speak with B uh, so much longer. I'm very excited to share it with you right now. And as always, so, so thankful that you have joined me um, to listen to B today. This is really nice of you to do this on a weekend, especially the weekend after you finished your dissertation. Oh, no, I'm so glad. It's, it's no, the weekends are usually uh, better. And today we were really blessed with a very, very sunny day, which for oh. German um, autumn, yes, extremely unusual. So this yes. rained every day, and we were feeling really down because do you know that first time? during the colder months mm. that you get a really cold week and it's raining and it feels mm-hmm. like you're so exhausted mm-hmm. so the whole week was like this and today I woke up it was sunny I was like I'm gonna do laundry I'm gonna air everything out open every window and let the sun in so feels good it's good day for for talking I think oh that's wonderful that's wonderful well you know as you know uh and thank you so much for your help and reassurance and hope along the way you know my son just moved there and actually his flatmate goes to school in Dresden um not in Leipzig yeah he comes every day I mean it's not that far it's about let's say about two hours away by train. Oh, is, is it two yeah. hours? No, he yeah. goes um he goes Sunday night and comes back Tuesday night. So I oh, think he yeah. only has classes on Monday and Tuesday. And then yeah. he works in Leipzig um on so I think he works for a church, but I'm not totally okay. sure. I know so my son has been going to church with him on Sunday mm-hmm. mornings, and I know he like kind of leads the service there. So I, oh. I'm assuming that was, that's what he does the other days, but I'm not, my son said it's a ministry. So I I, I actually don't know exactly what Very he does, but he seems, yeah, but he seems like a wonderful guy. That is I mean, good. That's good. Yeah. But um, anyhow, to your point, <laughs> yeah, I think it's been really rainy there. And yeah. my son, Jack, he loves the cold and the rain. It's been oh, yeah, amazing for him, <laughs> but he's kind of like, trying to figure out um he said he's just wet all the time and he's always showing up at people's classes kind of muddy and stuff so I think he's figuring out how he has to handle that aspect of it took me a while to actually understand um the kind of like utility dressing do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like you need to be and I'm like I'm like a fashion girl myself so I always said that it's fashion over anything else Mm. and Sometimes I would be very cold and sometimes I would be very wet. And at some point I was like, do you know what? This is not working out very well for me. I need to find like a kind of like a middle ground because Uh I I was always preferring the shoes that were were really nice, (laughs) but they were not the most weatherproof. So I would get my feet wet and the shoes would be ruined. And I was like, this is completely pointless. Right. Kind of had to like figure out how do I. So they have something here. I don't know if um, if your son told you yet. Um, they have something called um, Herbstjacke. And okay. It's an autumn jacket. So it's oh. a jacket that it's weatherproof. Uh huh. It's not very cold. Uh, I'm, excuse me. Not, not very, very warm. warm. It's not very warm, but it's it protects you from the wind, especially. So it's like a windbreaker. Okay. But also it's weatherproof and it has a um um. 
how do you say it? Um, like a hoodie, sort oh, of. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So you you can protect yourself, and it's perfect for this weather because it's not still not that cold. That you want a super warm jacket, right? Um, but also, right. like, you need something <laughs> to cover like, you exactly. Yeah. Well, and his biggest issue is the shoes. Yeah, the shoes are. He was in winter. I was like, this is this is horrible because I would have. So they sell here. I don't know, probably in the U.S. too, but I mm. don't remember having those when I lived there. Um, mm. It's like some cover for your shoe, like a silicone cover uh, that you put in front of your boots because they will get wet if they have lace, like or, huh. or like if they're lace boots or something like that. They would water would come in, so they have like this protection thing. Okay, because I was it, it's a whole thing, but you will get. <laughs> He'll figure it out. Interesting. So I was telling him he probably should just get waterproof shoes or boots, but you think, no, it's maybe better to get these silicone covers. If he has, if he has waterproof boots, I think this is the, it's always best case. That's better. Okay. Okay. But it feels like he has a boot that he really, really likes. Mm -hmm. And so they, they have this kind of, no, he's American. All he wears is shorts and running shoes. (laughs) I have a German friend. She said we could always tell the Americans because they wore shorts and running shoes. And that's definitely, that's definitely (laughs) Jack. In fact, like I said, he was going to church with, um, his his flatmate, Simon, and he came came out last Sunday. Apparently it was like 38, uh, well, Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is Celsius. And he Yeah, he was wearing um, a short sleeve shirt and shorts and running oh my shoes. Goodness. And his flatmate just said, "Are you going like that?" <laughs> oh my goodness! No, he will get. So I think he would should go should go ahead and get the like the waterproof boots and things okay. like that. If he okay. can get, it's ridiculous. So I had for the first time after eight years living in Germany, I finally got myself waterproof pants. Because I mm. never had them, and I don't have any use for waterproof pants. Mostly, of course, mm. when it rains a lot, sometimes like if you have to walk somewhere, if you're biking somewhere, you want to have those waterproof pants. Right. I always try to avoid it because I find them hideous. Like mm. <laughs> they're not like fun, fun, a fun thing to wear. Mm-hmm. I went to Iceland. And, oh yeah. And then I was like, okay, this yes. Is it's time for the waterproof pants because you yep. put them over your pants. So like yes. you're wearing some uh, like normal jeans or like yeah. something underneath. And then you put those on top and they keep you dry. And then if you yeah. get to a place, like if you get to work or if you get to class, mm-hmm. you can just like take those pants off. Take those off. Yeah, that's what actually regular pants. Yeah, we we went to Iceland and we did the same thing. And that's when yeah. we got our first set of waterproof stuff because you're always walking behind the waterfalls and yeah, everything exactly. like that. And so you need to stay dry, which yeah. it seems like riding a bike everywhere in Germany is the equivalent yeah. to walking behind uh, waterfalls <laughs> and Iceland awesome. everywhere. <laughs> and then, the same. And, well, and then what do you do with your wet? So like if you get to class or if you get to work, what do you do? do with all your wet stuff i'll just put it in like if i'm not super wet like soaking i'll mm. just put it in like it comes sometimes with a little bag so i'll just take the little bag with me and i'll put it inside okay um, okay but if i'm really soaking wet then i would just stay with the pants or maybe mm. just like yeah I would, it's it's then a whole it's a whole different scenario but a lot okay. of the people when it's like really heavily raining they will bike anywhere i won't i will never so yeah i would just get my go on the like on the train you will okay 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 well his 
Yeah, his bike was stolen this week, so that's going to oh, put no. <laughs> put a little bit of a kibosh on that anyhow, oh, but gosh. he'll yeah. figure it all out. He he yeah. always does. So, but um, he's liking it so far. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. So good. He really does. Yeah, he really does. And he's just um probably very similar to you. It's just an incredibly driven person yeah. and his mind never ever stops. He just is like churning through information and knowledge. And so he's, yeah. um, he only started learning in March, but he feels like, you know, he should have been fluent in German yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you know, his major is physics. And I actually said to him yesterday or the program he's in is physics. I said, I'm a little worried. You're so obsessed with this German that, you know, and he's like, mom, stop. It'll be fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and um, he, yeah, he just loves math and science. It's almost more fun for him. Last year, yeah. he took two math classes and he saved all his math homework for the weekend because it was so fun for him. He would just yeah. um, he, like, I'll do all my hard stuff uh, during the week. And then I just do. And it, this was like advanced math, too. It was differential yeah. equations and um, and uh second year calculus but still that was fun for him so i think <laughs> i think for him he's just he's loving the classes that is great. he's loving the um the assignments he's really enjoying getting to know people but he's very hard on himself and yeah. the fact that he doesn't completely know german already um so he just well, went to a go ahead i think like it will be to me at least because i do i do identify a little bit um with mm. him in this sense mm. i think um not having like picturing something for yourself and not mm -hmm. being there yet sometimes it's so frustrating like yes. because you think you're doing like everything and you are already mentally there yes <laughs> um but to me like i had to learn to to mm -hmm. step it back a little bit and mm -hmm. be like oh okay well i'll just keep going that's I, it's right like, and and it does, but I I find it I, I know that it's I, I tend I also tend to be like super hard on myself for mm -hmm. not. Um, so when I came, I studied German exclusively for um, I think about eight months. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I would have classes every day, about six hours a day, because I couldn't speak a word of Germany, of German. Wow. And I was yeah. like, I'm living in Germany. I have to learn the language. That was the first thing to me mm. that was like, this has to be done. I will do it. And okay. so, so I was doing it every day, very intensely. Okay. And because my program, my, the, um, the master's program here mm -hmm. was completely in German. For me right in our history so i was like no i have to figure this out right and right so you moved to germany learned german and then applied for the master's program yeah yeah uh, i did so i moved I see. immediately after finishing um my my undergraduate my undergraduate in brazil mm -hmm. the way it works in brazil is a little different so mm -hmm. uh, instead of having like a sh um, shorter undergraduate um degree like three years and then mm -hmm. two years of your master you have mm -hmm. five years so oh, when i okay. came i already had i theoretically already had my master's done so uh, everything was already uh, done um, mm. in the how do you say it in um in this um, comparison or like mm -hmm. equivalence, equivalence, equivalence. Field. okay. Um, they already had everything. I already I had see. everything. So I was like, I couldn't keep on with a master's in architecture because I already had one. Mm. 
So the uni was like, yeah, maybe you should have, you should find something else that you want to do. And and I was very set in having my master's. Mm. So I decided now, wait, if this program is completely in German, I will study German now. And then as soon as I have my, my German um, certificates, I will apply. So this is I what see. I did. Yeah. I see. So what did you have to, which certificate did you have to have to apply? I did. Um, so I applied. Um, so I did um, eight months and then I had to have at least B1 mm-hmm. in I have to prove and then they have like different tests. So there's one for the each German university, which is mm-hmm. called the oh man, I don't remember any of the names. Yeah. But it's like a tr- specific um German test for the university. Oh, okay. It's gonna be different for each university. So each university will have their own that they oh, can. Okay. So exactly. he um just studied on his own from yeah. March to um when he left September. And mm-hmm. just like two weeks before he left, he took a placement test just to see yeah. where he was because he knew he'd want to take classes on his own and he placed as a B1. Um oh, that's wonderful. He, yeah, he worked well, it's he worked um over the summer. So first of all, like I said, he's very driven and he's yeah. very, you know, he sets up a plan for himself and follows through. Um, yeah. But he worked as like essentially a janitor at a hospital over the summer. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he had a lot of time to just have his AirPods in and he listened to yeah. this uh, podcast, Coffee Break German. Have you yeah. heard of the Coffee yeah. Break yes. episode? Because yes. <laughs> um, I think there's, I think he did Coffee Break Spanish first, then Coffee Break French, and now he's done Coffee Break German, which I'm listening to now. And um, he learned a lot from that and then just getting books and reading yeah. and, and studying and stuff like that. But it's interesting because I suspect it's maybe a slightly different B1 than where you were because, mm. um, yeah, he took it. I, I don't know who he took it through. So that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. For the university, I know that each university will have their tests. I chose not to go to the university test because I wanted uh, one that would allow me to apply to anything. Because uh, if I take the university test, it's only um, it's only good for that university specifically. So uh, I was like, okay, what if we move? I don't know. Like, what I if we see. decide something else? So I want to have the the certificate that is like the the most um uh, universal tested. yeah like yeah that would mm-hmm. be the, and then i did the versatile mm-hmm. and the what what is that it's test daf it's the oh, name test daf okay through goethe institute and so they have it's a very it's a different kind of test they they it's mostly all oral and a lot of speaking and they do Mm. test your ability overall not like not only just grammar and 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 multiple choice questions and answers Mm. things like that they do they they are very um focused in evaluation how much can you do how much can you Uh, actually speak interesting can you and then when i did that then i got up to c1 which is the max oh wow okay yeah and i think that's what he's finding is you know of course so much of his study was um listening and then reading grammar all of that and then but it's very different when you go and you just have to start oh yeah speaking (laughs) it and so yeah Go ahead. But he will get it. He will. He, he will. 
He will. Once you were here and you have to do it and you have to use it and you hear people, the way people speak, and he's going to be with a lot of young people, which is a lot different from what And his flatmate is German. His flatmate is native German. And they, from the very beginning, he said, please only speak to me in German. German. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think, um, no, like you said, he will. I mean, the truth is he is one of those people that whatever, and again, sounds very much like you, whatever he puts his mind to, he just... He does. And he has already amazed me many times over um, in his 18 years. So he will. He will. But it's just how hard he is on himself in the meantime. Um, And, you know, you always... Even that he will even, you will learn to cope Mm. with being hard on himself, especially now that he's on his own, more or less. Mm. He will have to um, learn how to tone it down, his own Mm -hmm. expectations for himself, Mm. stress management. It's a lot. It is. I always say that living abroad, it's a very interesting challenge because when we came, we met a lot of people that were also embarking in a journey, a similar journey Mm -hmm. of uh, living abroad. Some some were couples, some were um, single um, friends, Mm. but most of them went home. And I always find it. And you um, stayed. We stayed, but we mm. we always talk about it because the the issues that arise are are so varied, and also kind of it's you have something, something happens because stuff happens mm-hmm. in our life constantly, right? And we have mm-hmm. like a, in an infinity of problems every day. Like things happen, but when you're abroad, you're more or less alone, so you don't mm-hmm. have your your support, support network yeah network yeah you don't have like so i did in the beginning like figuring out a lot of things on my own like how um i always i lived alone before coming here so i was mm. not living with my parents anymore but mm-hmm. um we had to figure out things like grown-ups do you yes you are i don't know tax returns and right and, and even even stuff. just something as silly as how do you dress for all the rain there yeah, when yeah. you spend a lot more time outside and in a country a like Germany like, than in the U.S.? Totally. And a lot of the things that I would go for people for help, I'd be like, mom, dad, I need mm. this. Or they do couldn't you know help how you. to do this? Mm-hmm. Sometimes even if they wanted to help me, they right. couldn't. Right. They were like, they. it was beyond. So like, how can I ask my dad, how do you do the tax returns in Germany, he would be like, I don't know. You right. Have to figure out that on your own. You have to. Right. Like, or maybe like silly, the silliest things like you go, you need to open a bank account. Yes. You don't have to figure that out. <laughs> that has <laughs> been surprisingly difficult. And then, yeah, as yeah. you know, to get that visa or for the U.S. residents, uh, he doesn't actually need a visa. He just needs yeah. a residency permit. You have to prove that that. Yeah. The bank account has been a lot more difficult than we, <laughs> than we anticipated. And then you have to figure out um, what do you do about insurance? Are you going to? Mm-hmm. And then we yes. went to the insurance person and it was like, you can have this many different kinds of insurance because Germans love insuring most things <laughs> most things that they can insure they will that sounds very like, german <laughs> and we'll be stopping like with all do you know when you like people put in front of you like a thousand different policies and you're, oh like, i don't know do right I your need? head is just swimming and you can't <laughs> yeah yeah so like you have to like those things are like very small things that you but a lot of the times we go into our mature lives, so having a lot of assistance from our parents, mm-hmm. from our friends, from the people in, I don't know, in our communities that went through it. 
Mm-hmm. We have a lot of help. And then when you move abroad, you realize how mm-hmm. much we need that help and that mm-hmm. that support system that we build around ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because you lose it very mm-hmm. suddenly. And you have to... So we've had a lot of friends that that came together as a couple and broke up because then the mm-hmm. pressure oh, will like rise because you were all see. like each trying to figure out your own lives in this right. new environment and trying to fit in and trying to understand not only language but culture right mm-hmm. what is the right. things that are different in germany and mm-hmm. the u.s for example there's so many things that you have to really understand how things work so a lot mm. of those those little things end up being too much because they mm. add up and and then a lot of the people we knew here went home mm. and decided that yeah it was fun while we did it but um let's just go home to yeah. our like comfort and mm. so it's a big it's a big big challenge living abroad and i always say if people have the chance to do it they should I agree. Um, and it's going to be so scary. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but that's uh, part of the point. That's actually part of the point. And I think it's wonderful for, um, again, one of the reasons I'm, I'm so excited for Jack to do this is because I feel like, uh, if you ever end up back in a country where you're comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, again, like a, a home country, um, you have so much more empathy and not just that like a lot of us might have empathy for people who come here as immigrants or refugees and want to help but we might really not even know exactly how mm. because until you've experienced what it feels like to be completely out of your element and the exhaustion that yeah. comes from even just a trip to the grocery store so i lived in japan for a year when i was 18 oh. the yeah the exhaustion yeah. that comes even from a trip to the grocery store yeah. because you don't necessarily know what the rules are to ride your bike there yeah. you don't know um if the food in the package is what you think it is. You don't know how to ask someone if maybe you have to go to the bathroom when you're in the middle of the grocery store. You don't quite even know what the sign looks like. (laughs) I mean, it's like every little thing. You just don't quite know. And it's exhausting. And um, to have that experience, I do think it's Again, maybe, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll stay in that culture. He doesn't plan to, but who knows? Like life has, we're going to hear about yours and it's already had a lot of twists and turns and you're young. Life is surprising. Right, Um, right, right. But if you ever do end up in a country that you're comfortable with, um, and again, for him in particular, he, he feels fairly strongly that he would like to go to medical school, be a medical Mm -hmm. doctor and fuse that somehow with his interest in the sciences and math and physics, but, you know, to be a good doctor, especially in the area that we live in, a huge percentage of your patients are going to be somewhat new to this country. And what an asset to be able to really understand what they're up against as they also face the fear of maybe like a catastrophic medical diagnosis or a life-changing surgery. And and being like, being alone to me yes. that is one of the things that you have to understand especially like when you're a doctor that when you get someone that mm-hmm. doesn't speak the language that well maybe right they're going through something so scary mm-hmm. in a place that they may not completely understand mm-hmm. what is going to be done for example like mm-hmm. it could be sometimes i go to the doctor here mm-hmm. and 
can you imagine trying to explain mm. something you're feeling in a language mm. that you don't feel a hundred percent comfortable in? Mm. Trying mm. to find those words to say this, because because to me the doctor's mm. office is always like a little bit mysterious, right? Like you never mm -hmm. really know. Like, am I? What do I have? I don't know. I I have to tell you what I feel, mm -hmm. and you tell me what I have. Right, right, so, right. So like you're so vulnerable in that moment, mm. and it does. I think it matters. Like, so well so said. Much. It does. It does. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think it's important yeah. to, I think it's important to have any experience, whether it's, you know, living abroad or if it's in sports or if it's trying to learn a new language, I think it's important to have experiences where you're at a disadvantage, mm -hmm. where you are in a position of weakness. Um, I think that those are some of the most important experiences you can have in your life. And I think it's important as you go through your life to sort of constantly be putting yourself in positions of, of weakness. Um, one, because it's amazing what happens to you when you, f when, when that turns into a position of strength and wow, mm -hmm. what an unbelievable feeling, um, and a boost of confidence to go and do the next difficult thing. But sometimes these positions of weakness just stay weaknesses. They don't ever become easy for you. And I think that's important as well because, yeah. um, it gives you again, the way to relate to even even children who are helpless um yeah. to like you said to patients to um maybe just community members that you're in contact with it's just it's just important to know what it feels like to be in a position of vulnerability yeah. and weakness and i applaud you because you have done this already in your life many okay. times <laughs> many <laughs> times you. over and yeah. i speaking of let's <laughs> let's segue into what a feeling of vulnerability on Thursday when you went in to defend your dissertation. Tell tell yeah. me about that day because it's so fresh on your mind. <laughs> it was, it is strange, I have to say, because mm. I've been doing this and studying this topic for so long mm. that... How long? How long, B? Um, so the thing that I did was mm -hmm. I started... Um, my master's right after finishing um architectural design school mm -hmm. so i was like i was fresh as an architect in the world mm -hmm. so my focus at the beginning was bauhaus and kind of oh, modern yeah, yeah mm -hmm. so this was what i was studying and i was specifically doing um, um the textiles of the bauhaus women so my uh -huh. interest in was in something that I believed to be a very um, feminine expression, means huh. of expression, because it was renegade to women. Mm -hmm. So women had to find their way through abstraction within textile hmm. art. And I was working with that. And that was right before the pandemic hit. So um, I was about to begin writing in 2019, the end mm -hmm. of 2019. And then we went to Brazil for Christmas and about February, March is where in Europe, everything shut down, school shut down and it was very confusing time. So mm. that first semester, we didn't have any school because we couldn't, no one really knew how long this was going to take and we didn't have any systems figured out for online classes and things like that. So none mm. of that was operating, which now seems crazy because it seems like mm. it's everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows how to do it. But mm -hmm. it's like a couple of years ago, there was nowhere. Mm -hmm. And when the university finally was up and running, 
um, then my mom passed away. Oh, and, B, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a it was a difficult. Um, it's a difficult scenario for everyone, I think, because it was the yeah. height of the pandemic. It was the end of 2020. We didn't mm-hmm. have vaccines yet, and people were dying by the the millions. It was. Did she die of coronavirus? She died of a complication. Yeah. And oh, B, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, I was, and then back then we were all stuck here, right? And they were stuck in Germany. There. We you were, were in stuck in Germany and they were in Brazil. Yeah, we couldn't travel. So there was wow. no at, at the end because it was all before vaccines and and international mm. travel being allowed and things like that. So mm. we were all here. So I was, I had to go through this kind of very strange process of grief that wow. you're a- away and alone. And wow. And Mm. Also, like a collective grief, right? As the mm, world mm. was like grieving so intensely, mm-hmm. and I started question everything. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to keep going. I really felt really lost in my studies, mm-hmm. and I took a really long break. I was like, I took a in the, I think about almost two years break. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I'd say, and because I didn't, I couldn't do the thing. To me, I couldn't do the thing that I was doing when when everything started to happen. I was like, this is, I need to find a new path. Is and it because every time you sat down to study at all of these other, ma- exactly. it, it was just associated with so many terrible things with for so you? Many, with so many, with so much sadness, right? Because I right see. at the moment that I started to, 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 to really work on my research, yeah. was the moment that everything started to happen in the world I and I I lost a lot of my own ground and then I, I was see. like okay mm-hmm. I cannot sit and do this I see um, okay mm-hmm. so by the end of 2022 I have decided that I wanted to get back into it I love mm-hmm. research I wanted to finish my masters mm-hmm. but I needed a completely new topic mm-hmm. yeah I think it was like the middle about the summer, the summer of 2022. And I then see. I started a new topic. And mm. by then, which was very funny, because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was not doing any food photography just mm-hmm. yet. I was not doing anything in that scenario. I, I mm-hmm. love to bake. I'm a good, I've always been a good baker, but mm-hmm. um, I was not doing any photography. I was baking for friends. But during the pandemic, because my, my I lost my mom, and mm-hmm. I was feeling so lost. I was, I felt like food and baking and my photos were like a small little bit of the world that I had a hundred percent control over. Mm-hmm. So it felt so good. Like mm-hmm. it felt so good to have control over that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and of course, I mean, it's very kind of animalistic of us, but we turn over and over and over to food. I yeah. mean, food is one of those sort of baseline comforts. Yeah, and I life. felt like the thing that I could do that made my neighbors happy and made mm. my friends happy and the people that I knew were suffering as well, mm. they were all getting this love from me because it's what I could give. And for me, wow. it was really good because it was very much a healing experience of wow. what can I get my hands on that I can control that makes me mm. feel like that my life is in control because I can mm. handle this well mm-hmm. and, and and make something that I 
found was beautiful and then photography right. grew from that so that was mm. in the meantime mm-hmm. and when I decided to go back to my master's mm-hmm. I was like what do what, what am I passionate about what can I do that what would be a topic that would really really drive me mm-hmm. and then I was like food of course mm. it is food it has to be food it cannot be anything else so I decided to mm. look into how it depictions of food came about right because mm. this is not something that although now we have so we've seen so mm-hmm. many pictures of apples mm-hmm. and flowers mm-hmm. and um a variety of things right mm-hmm. we've seen so much of that that it seems like it's always been there but mm. it hasn't not right as a, not as a complete artistic expression right so mm. as when we first see food and art um it has a very um religious i would say it's mm. not it, it's not that it has a religious min- meaning but it always has a sort of religious connotation it's there to support a story right that story is a religious one right like it, right right it was not to appreciate the food as it was no no so like Correct. When, yeah when you have an apple when you have a woman holding an apple, what does the apple mean? Right. What does the apple have to say? The apple is not itself uh, like the the subject of that. Right. Painting. Right. The apple is there to remind you, for example, of the original sin. Right. This is why the apple is appearing in a context, for example. Or that happens a lot with lilies, for example. Mm. That is um, the flower that often uh, represents the the purity of Virgin Mary. So mm. it would usually come to indicate that Mary was around. So this story was a story of Mary and right. then there's a lily over yes. there. Mm-hmm. So th- like th- in in it was almost like a shorthand. It was a visual shorthand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would help the viewer to understand a bigger story. Mm-hmm. And it would also you could hide an immense, like an infinity of meaning, right? You could put fruit everywhere, and and things would have. Um, it would you would also build a code, so every painter knew, everyone knew those exactly, that right? So this is very easy. That, yeah, it's a mean of communication of sorts, right? And there was a point, however, towards the late Renaissance, where it started coming up as a as its own thing. And mm-hmm. to me, that is fascinating because it's it is. in essence exactly what we do right now, right? When we do food photography, mm. it is the main thing. We're not talking about Mary. And sometimes we are talking about other things, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it means different things. It doesn't need to mean um, a cake. doesn't need to be just a cake. It can be so much more. Mm. But in essence, we're taking a picture of a cake mm-hmm. and the cake is the main thing. This right. is the the cake is the story. The food mm-hmm. is the story. And to me, mm-hmm. that was like fascinating mm-hmm. that that could be seen as a development in art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't remember your question. So oh. <laughs> I totally forgot. I think I well, went on a, on a, <laughs> I went on a sidetrack that <laughs> Well, I was asking you about, um, so first of all, I'm very grateful for what you just shared. And it's, um, I did read your thesis and it's oh. in its entirety yesterday. <laughs> um, I tra- Well, I translated it. I don't 
<laughs> my German is very elementary still. Um, so I translated it. And it's true. I had never thought about that. And I actually put it into the questions. Wait, are you saying this is when, I mean, to me, those still lifes, um, they're almost a cliche in how old fashioned, um, but I had never thought about, well, what was the beginning of them? To yeah, me, they right? just are so old. It, 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 it was fascinating to me. And now it sounded like, correct me if I'm wrong, that, so you studied this um, Italian artist. Yes. yes. Pr- pronounce his name for me. because It's I'll Vincenzo it. Campi. Okay. And um, specifically a set of six paintings. And this was the first time that these came to Italy sort of as a main subject. But it sounds like you were saying before that, the Flemish started doing it. The Flemish yeah, people. Exactly. It. it was like yeah. almost at the same time. It's oh, like it's not okay. that far apart from each other. Right, right, right. But um, the thing is, um, so this, there's a tradition in especially in uh, Northern European painting of depicting the common. So depicting people doing stuff in Mm -hmm. their daily lives. And you can see that a lot in in Flemish painting. Mm -hmm. And when that started appearing in Italy, people just assumed that this was a derivation of that. So this Mm -hmm. is like, they are just copying what they seen. So this is how it was brought um, to Italy and mm. what I was trying to decipher more or less is how mm. can we look at this as a um a spontaneous a, development it is not complete I cannot say that it is spontaneous mm. but that is like um context dependent mm. so I wanna I wanted to look at what makes it different what ma- mm-hmm. it's of course it can it, it is I think you, I cannot deny that it is a derivation of that. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. do look at the um, Flemish painters and 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 try to and get so many elements from that, right? I'm not saying that they're completely original and they mm. just like came, it came about spontaneously there. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it was different because they had a different context. They have different understanding of what the marketplace were. They had different connotations for the marketplace because mm-hmm. it's a different culture. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. like you're adapting something to to a different market. And if I want to sell here, if I want to sell in Italy, I need to understand what my patrons are gonna expect. What yes. do they want? What do they want to buy? Because if, if they wanted to buy that, they could go to the Flemish painters and buy from them. Right. Like they want to buy potatoes. Beer. Yeah. But yeah. no, they want to have figs and uh, I'm Precisely. trying to think cherries and the other things that you. Yeah. So if, they, if I want to put all right here, I need uh-huh. to adapt it to my context. And so this yeah. is how I've seen it. And that was very then one of the very first times you see that in Italian art, specifically mm-hmm. in as, as an Italian production. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's very well, it's a very particular um, situation. And after that, so many others will come. So this was like the very first. And after yeah. that, you have Caravaggio, which famously painted so many still lives and things like that. Mm-hmm. That okay. um, borrow from this new language, this new aesthetic. Right. But perhaps he wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for Compi. Exactly. Because yeah. he needed also mm-hmm. access to that, right? Because mm-hmm. when, br- mm-hmm. when you bring something to a different country, you give so many other people access mm-hmm. to that information as well. So a lot will flourish from mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. 
Well, you made a point in your dissertation that um, I actually didn't, I don't think I went back and put it into the questions because I read it. I, I didn't have the questions up yesterday when I was reading your dissertation. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've covered a lot of different aspects of food here yeah. on this podcast. And we kind of return to the same themes over and over again, you know, themes of comfort, themes of connection, heritage, culture, love, all of these themes. But you brought up something that was so interesting and important and i've we've never talked about here on this podcast before oh. but which is that um food, well you talked about these paintings being hung in the um sort of chambers of the legislature and yeah. the fact that these abundant markets were a symbol of a well run effective society yeah. and i thought Wow, what a great point. What a yeah. great point. And how much does that show just one more aspect of food um, that I take for granted here? Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked again on this podcast about the beauty of food, the nutritional nature, all of these things. But I take for granted the fact that when I walk into a grocery store and find like this massive produce aisle, I just went in today, I ran in to grab yeah. some cranberries <laughs> for some photographs I'm taking this afternoon. And what does that say about the society that I live in, the mm -hmm. road? Roads that my um, that my countrymen can travel, yeah. the um, technological systems that are set up to get cranberries from wherever. I mean, I don't even yeah. I don't even know where cram you know to get them to <laughs> where here. Are they? Yeah. Right, right, right. The fact that I know that there's there's a currency in place that is clear to understand, and there's ways that that currency is managed so that you know I can I can uh, exchange it for food like all of these things yeah. I had never thought about before about what it takes um, to have a, a, a marketplace to yeah. what it takes yeah, to have a marketplace and not just eat from your own farm. Yeah, exactly. And also like we have to think that is the very foundation of, mm -hmm. um, of our society, right? So mm -hmm. as soon as we began having organized societies and governments, we had a marketplace because mm -hmm. we had the, need to exchange and to and to supply our families and in the in the communities with mm -hmm. um food so mm -hmm. the thing and also like you have to imagine that very unstable medieval society and mm. they had so as as we do today mm. deal with pest they deal with mm -hmm extreme weather they mm -hmm. dealt with a lot of like they dealt with so much um complication right mm -hmm. and all that complication had to be foreseen so this is the mm -hmm. government it comes in you have to manage well so when something happens mm -hmm. you still have enough <laughs> you still have enough for the people so they had a lot of those ups and downs of so much hunger and and sickness and mm. then it would go up again and then it would go down again and mm. and these things are interesting because when you see a flourishing marketplace that is a sign that things are, are being conducted um mm -hmm. in a in a in um how can i say in an organized manner right. that they are thinking about the future that they are thinking about the people and then that that is a good that's a good sign and yeah. it was always like this so the right market was you cannot do a city without a market mm. you cannot do a city without um 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a site. Of course, everyone can live from their own land and exchange mm-hmm. on their own. But then naturally, a market will appear because as soon as you start um, trading with your neighbor and then the neighbor after that, right, a marketplace will happen. It's, right. it's, it's very spontaneous, just like that. So that is, it's a sign that the city is going well, society is flourishing, people right. are being provided for, they they you can rely on that you can right right and right and you thing right now right you can rely on the fact that if mm. you need fruit you can go to a market and they will have fruit mm. maybe they don't have the fruit that you want that day but mm. they do have a variety of fruit to choose from and this yeah. is very it, it it was fascinating to me and that word variety is interesting too you emphasize that um in your thesis that this was like a rhetor uh was it rhetorical it was a yeah. it was a common device you know um uh in um renaissance paintings was mm-hmm. the more variety you show like the more complexity sort of um that's like the richness you know of the painting or of the subject yeah. and it's true that without a marketplace uh, there's never so much that you're going to grow on your own land, no matter how big it is, um, that's going to compare to what you could find in a marketplace, right? Yeah. Because somebody's always bringing something else that grows a little bit better um, mm-hmm. in their soil and something like that. But yeah, I just found that fascinating. And especially when you said, and it made me it made me sort of ask a question of myself when you said they hung it in those legislatures sort of to remind themselves of the import of every decision, You know, every decision that they made would lead either to, again, like you said, this stable place of abundance and variety where people could be well fed and um, and and uh, commune together where that would fall apart. And it just it made me think what like what for me, you know, here in the United States, what pictures would I want to have up in Congress? What would I want them to have in their mind? you know, right like now as is, they make their decisions. What is a reminder that right. of, of what we need? And also, like, I didn't, they had, so I think I described, I'm pretty sure I described the good, um, um, the good um, city, like the good mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. I did describe that, but they do have in the same room. So I think there are six, six frescoes, I think, mm-hmm. um, near each other in a room, like lining up the room. And some of them are the bad government, Right. Mm. So they also have what happens when you fail at your mm. job as a as a mm-hmm. uh, public servant. What, mm. what what happens when you when you forget that this is your responsibility? And then, of course, the most horrible things were the people. They were like all all the worst of the worst was there <laughs> in their in their in their mind. A lot of fire, a lot of destruction. But um, you know, it may not be a bad thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and it's but it's interesting that they chose a visual uh, medium mm-hmm. for that because, of course, mm-hmm. um, up until that point. Um, there were many descriptions of a market and government and thinkers, people mm. considering the implications of the decisions. But a visual um, depiction is significant because it's clear, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone yes. understands it pretty mm. much the same, right? When mm. you look at a picture of a city burning down, you know that the government's doing bad. Mm. So it's very, very clear as a message. And I find it very, um, I find it interesting that they chose that. Of mm. course, the public servants, they also knew 
um, through texts and, and stories how bad things could go. But mm-hmm. you don't think about that all the time, right? You don't be reading a text about how things... You don't read the apocalypse every day. You read it every right. day. Right. And when right? you do, you always think, not me. Right. Yeah. Won't yeah, happen for, to me. Won't that, happen to me. That doesn't, does not, has nothing to do with me. Right. 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 Yeah. Oh, such, it's, such it's good very points. interesting. So I have to ask you one more question about these yeah, paintings. Sure. And if people want to look them up while we're talking, it's called the Brera Cycle. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yes. The Brera Cycle by um, Compi, C A M P I. Um, so. <laughs> Okay, forgive me because maybe this shows some ignorance with art. Oh, never. The well, the females were fairly attractive. Maybe the proportions sometimes in the faces were a little off, but some of the men slash children <laughs> were they supposed to look? Yeah. So sort of, I almost want to use the word gruesome. Um, yeah, no, but you're you're saying right. Uh, there is a we there's there's a term for it. We call it um, grotesque. Mm. So it's um, in a way, yes. So the thing that I'm currently so I haven't gone completely into in my thesis. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's a possibility of doing a PhD still and oh, wow. exploring it further. You um, would go into the same the in same the same cycle. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which wow. is um, also crazy because I don't know if I want to do like, I don't know. You probably know every years. brush stroke by now. <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, there's always more to see, right? Mm. You can look at it forever. Mm. Um, but um, you're right. Um, there is like, uh, there's, a, um, there's a discussion surrounding the depiction of poor people, right? Oh. Because you're, you have to consider this master he was making these paintings these are very large paintings and he mm-hmm. made so many he made copies that are very similar to each other mm-hmm. like variations of the one theme so of the fish sellers for example mm-hmm. there are i don't know five or six they're all different but they mm-hmm. all ha- have common elements yes mm-hmm. and... even just a really cursory look you could see exactly. repeated elements yeah exactly mm-hmm. So um, those and and those were meant to be they they're it's a commodity it's it's being sold right mm, so mm-hmm. and these are being sold for good money to wealthy people mm-hmm. right so these images of peasants they're appearing in people's fancy homes in their dining rooms and this is an interesting question because why why are why is he depicting common people and how mm. does one represent this communality right mm-hmm. so do you want to how do you want to what are the choices that you make mm-hmm. and there's then a discussion about um how can i put it um clearly i think a discussion on how um how do i differentiate myself Correct, right. From what I am seeing. And justify why I have. Exactly. People a mile down the road maybe do no. not. Right. Exactly. So the thing is that I consider very, always very striking is that mm. there was a, um, the, the late Renaissance, there was a big, big um, talk about civility and decorum. So huh. how do I behave? How do I eat? What do I eat? What makes me myself right Mm. so there was like a lot of um talk about um 
food that rich people can eat, that they can, um, th- their systems could process. Right. And the food that only poor people could eat because they are coarser right. and they can, they can endure more. Uh, yeah. When you, I don't know. Do you see? It's like, it's, they're mm-hmm. not, they're all like this kind of pseudo scientific mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. uh, treaties mm-hmm. and things like that. They don't really make a lot of sense. When you read it, like when I read some of those things, I was like, you guys, you guys were lost. You had no idea. But <laughs> right, <laughs> right. A lot of that science that they were really clinging on to. And mm-hmm. they did then people wanted to show that they're different, right? I want to mm-hmm. show you that I'm not a peasant. So I will have a picture of a peasant eating and mm-hmm. they will be eating beans and they will be eating dark bread and they would have mm. red wine and they will have cheese, for example, things like that. And did you notice they have sometimes their mouths open, mm-hmm. they're laughing really hysterically. Mm-hmm. They're doing things that are considered not civil. Right. Mm-hmm. This is not something you're going to have at your table because you are not a peasant. Mm-hmm. So there's like this whole aspect of how do you depict the other? Mm-hmm. Right. How do mm-hmm. you look at the other and why mm-hmm. do you want to look at the other? Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is a question that I managed to answer myself, mm-hmm. but um, it's a you question certainly that raised it. Yeah. yeah, you certainly raised it. And it's and it's an interesting one. And it would take. um I can see how it would take a lot of research because of course we have what we would, you know, there's always facile explanations (laughs) and then it's like, but we have to test. We have to test, of course, if the theory is true, you know, and always, always wondering what in a hundred or 200 years people will think about us and our quote science, (laughs) you know, what I look at, like I'm looking um, behind me, right? 500, Mm, 700 years. I don't know. And it's really interesting to try and figure out what were those people thinking? I cannot know. I can only mm. um, yes. guess with the material that was left for mm. me. So I take mm. a lot of the texts that they were using that were really, I cannot 100% tell you that the person right. that bought that painting certainly read that text. And this is the reason why they have it. But right. um, I can suppose that it was known if it was translated to mm. Italian, for example, and mm. when it was published, how much um, common knowledge was one thing or another. And then I can make those suggestions and be like, mm-hmm. this is possibly. But I think the bigger thing is um, trying to understand beauty and grotesque mm. with under also like with those points of view right how Mm -hmm. why do you choose to show something beautiful and what is beautiful in that Mm -hmm. sense like why do we choose to to have a seller that is really seductive do Mm -hmm. i mean that do i am i suggesting that a very beautiful seller with a very beautiful array of fruit and vegetable is she also representing maybe um a potential for for losing yourself in the beautiful mm. things in the world and forgetting um um the reality right of, and like okay? yeah this well, is going back to the beginning this is the beginning of just featuring you know food for food's sake but you're only you know a half step away you're still if if it's a if it's a um if it's a uh 
chain of links, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're only, you're still linked to when all those paintings where everything was religious and sort of about human nature and symbolic, like you're still right there in the same, like, yeah, maybe even the same chains linked together. There's been a shift, but of course yeah. you haven't, you're not way down the road, you and know? And also, of course, even by the the late um, 1800s, mm. food also had a meaning, Mm. right the flowers have each a meaning so when you mm. look at those still lifes in in especially in dutch painting mm. um each flower has a meaning each mm. each flower has a stage of development someone almost some are almost dead someone has have lost all their petals some, right there and they still carry meaning they're not there just to be there so they're right so the idea that there's some symbolism and like you said, sort of, uh, um, I mean, that woman or in at least one of the paintings, really, she's looking right at you. There's yeah. kind of this beautiful smile. And then you have this, it's a, is it a child? Is it a man? Why is yeah. he so dis? Uh, yeah, clearly there's something going on there. Right. So, uh, it's worth, it's worth looking into for sure. It's very, it's, it's, they're very complicated paintings, mm. I find, because they touch on those complicated topics For sure. of society and representation. Mm -hmm. And and um also like to me, always always like a looming um question of how do we look at each other? Mm -hmm. How do we look at the other, right? Right. How do we look at another person? from and that's always a question that comes because when you think of photography and mm. do you remember one of those that national geographic photo of that girl that's like it's, it's in teal and orange and she's looking straight to the camera's like i think the afghan woman yeah a really yes. famous cover yeah really mm -hmm. really famous cover and the thing is to me it's always I'm always a little bit uncomfortable when I see those. Mm -hmm. I find it mesmerizingly beautiful, right? Yes. So that photo is like, it's stunning. But yes. also it bothers me that we yes. have such a desire to see another culture. How do we choose to represent them? Do, they, do we give them agency over their own image? Mm -hmm. Do we... Or what are we doing with this, right? When we look at the mother, Dorothea Lang, um, the mother, mm -hmm. um, why? what are we looking at? Why do we have such an enjoyment from that? Do you know what I mean? It yes. has something that is really, and I think the artist is conscious of that. He knows, yes. They know. They understand yes. the discomfort that it brings. I don't know if everyone has the discomfort, but it's something that sometimes when you're sitting in front of a painting and you're looking at something that you think, why is this there? Why yes. do you did why do you do it this way? Why did you paint it this way? Right? Yes. And you yes. have to think about looking at the other, looking at the act of looking and mm -hmm. considering. I think mm -hmm. alone in art. And so when it's prevalent. yeah, when it's even like appropriate to and this is this is something that um and then after this, I really want to switch to your story. Like we've talked yeah. about your work and <laughs> like, okay, how did, how did we get <laughs> to the point that she created this work? But um, just to follow up on that, like you said, the act of looking and when it's appropriate and when it's appropriate to look away because yeah. it's, it's, it's private. And um, I, I think, you know, that I was a wedding photographer for more than eight years um, yeah. before 
I switched to food photography mm-hmm. and we photographed some very, very, very sensitive moments. Mm-hmm. And um, there's always like an accolade for the photographer. There's a sense of accomplishment for the photographer when you take a deeply emotional yeah. photo of an intimate moment. So from a personal from a point of personal ambition, mm-hmm. it always felt like something I wanted to do and I wanted to share, yeah. right? Um, because an emotive photograph is, that's sort of the pinnacle of skill, right? Um, yeah. But there was always a question of, is this appropriate? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, um, there was a couple we photographed and um, their sister, um, the bride's sister had leukemia and she has since died. Mm. And when she was speaking and you're taking photographs of the parents as this, um, sister is speaking and you know that, you know, this may be one of the last photographs that they have of her. Is this something that you want to record for them, but just them to have privately? Is it something and like the idea of removing yourself um, and saying this might not even even if it's something that selfishly I want to share because look what I captured. It may not be appropriate for the world to see something that is so tender and intimate and painful, um, but also beautiful and wonderful Mm -hmm. for a family. And those actually became quite ethical issues um, for us, even just as paid photographers. You know, Um, so it's easy to see how an artist who um, is like conscious of depicting the truth in the world as they see it, but also that they have to make money um, Mm -hmm. by selling to a certain class of people. Like, what do you what do you do with all of that? And it's easy to see how at some point it just becomes almost an ethical issue for them. And then, of course, on top of all that, there's always just the question of skill. Like, how much does it just a look away? Because maybe they weren't skilled enough to have it look a different (laughs) way. Yeah, Yeah, but also kind of like, um, to me, like, it was so mysterious that um, this these pictures are exclusively being sold to to a richer um, mm-hmm. social class, right? And they almost exclusively depict places and people that belong to a different world, right? Mm-hmm. They the marketplace it's not the place where the richest people would be shopping. No, they, they would send servants. their yeah servants or cooks to go there, right? And right. then you have to consider, like, those people, um, they have those images. Why? Why am I looking yeah. at this? Uh, Such right? a good question. And, yeah. And when in the when the artist painted it, um, and if he was aware, which I'm pretty sure he was, mm-hmm. um, did he meant to poke fun at them and to criticize mm. them? Is mm-hmm. this, what are we showing? What is he trying to to achieve with this am i pushing mm. someone when i show them a picture that i think it's a difficult one mm-hmm. right when i show them a photo that i think this is painful to see because mm-hmm. poverty is painful because mm-hmm. the other is sometimes um, excluded and not allowed in in mm-hmm. in public sight right mm-hmm. um Am I trying to push them further 
to push them out of their bubbles or is he just is this entertaining what is this right and I right. that come up and we think about it I don't think we can ever have an answer mm-hmm. I can I can put a lot of documents together and say mm-hmm. um, let's look at all of this evidence that I have and try to come up with with an explanation mm-hmm. but it could be that you get the same evidence and you put together differently and you're like oh but mm-hmm. wait a second I see this and this and this mm-hmm. which you didn't see because you put them in a different order for mm-hmm. example well and it's interesting there's other and i can't th- i'm i'm racking my brains trying to think of another instance but it's lots of people listening could there's also lots of instances in art of the everyday being um being elevated um mm. uh for the same audience for the rich audience because it's easier to <laughs> think about um the people suffering around you it's easier to ignore that suffering and to oh, say yeah. oh you know to romanticize this kind of beautiful and simple life and so you find instances of that as well so in this case like you said it's a very conscious choice why why make this choice versus a choice that many artists made um so it's a really interesting question let yeah. me know if you go on to yeah <laughs> oh, it's your PhD. A... <laughs> yeah we've been um so the 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 main idea for the PhD is looking at those pictures and mm-hmm. um, as an alleg- allegory for religious um, mm. religious stories. So different because c- it has so Kumpi was until that very point a religious painter, meaning oh. that he was he would work with his brothers painting churches and. Mm. Um, it, and so it, I would say mostly, mostly religious. So mm. in in Catholic Italy of the mm-hmm. um, 16th century, right? Mm. Um, and I do, I find it very difficult to believe that he would just abruptly break with that. I, I agree. Right? Mm-hmm. So you've yeah. been doing that all your life. And then suddenly you're like, nope, I'm going to do something completely right. different. And yeah. we know from experience that as much as you change, you carry everything with you. Yes. It's like a huge bag that you keep pulling with you wherever you go. So right, um, not not to mention, like you said before, the practical aspect of he had to sell these, and yeah. people don't change so quickly that all of a sudden you can do something completely new, have no symbolism in your painting, no yeah. religious <laughs> overtures, and still sell it to somebody. Yeah, <laughs> and, and do it right. You're right. going to do something that you have no belief in, right? Like, and, right. and there's no indication that he would. So like when someone would maybe gradually walk away from a certain theme and explore another one, but you wouldn't just like from yeah. night to day be like, no, today I'm going to, I'm a different painter. I, I right. was born, I was Picasso yesterday, but today I'm Rembrandt. Right. Like <laughs> completely different thing. It's very unlikely. So agree. the, the, the the main idea is to investigate if there if they could be an allegory for for um special uh, for sacred um imagery mm-hmm. right mm. if i'm trying if the meaning behind it could be maybe i don't know i i have no i i don't even have a um a thesis for that uh, just yeah that's it could be yeah my 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 mind is spinning 
Yeah, it is. It go. It goes all over, but right. But it's possible, right? Yeah. Sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Again, especially with this clue of you almost have like good and evil in these faces, which yeah. is, but, 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 but. <laughs> but I want. We went on a tangent that it was so long. <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to release it all because I think it's fascinating. Other people will also. Again, just reading your dissertation, it made me think of food in a, another whole different way. And so oh, no, I love so that. Glad. I love that. Yes. Well, I'm very appreciative. Um, but I want to hear more about you. So let me. <laughs> I do want to hear more about you. So can we just go way back? To well, just clear something up for me. So you've, mm-hmm. I, we know you started living in Germany right about 2019, right? Yeah. Um. Twenty. Wait a moment. 2016. 2016. Oh wow, yeah, you've been yeah. there seven years. Yeah. Oh, Crazy, wow. right? Wow. Yeah, okay. but it goes on. It it it, <laughs> it goes by so quickly that wow. even I am impressed when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you graduated from a Brazilian university. Yes, exactly. Okay. So I studied architecture in Brazil and then I moved right after. Okay. But you've also lived in America. So just yes. flesh this out for me. Give me a quick timeline of your life and then we're going to go back to the beginning. Um, so I've been going to the U.S. Um, frequently since I was about 13. Um, okay. Yeah, I would spend um, our breaks, my breaks there, and with with very wonderful family um, friends, oh. and we would go to California. Then, I think almost every year. And when I was about, oh, I think um, twenty thirteen, uh-huh. I went to study at the at New, in New York at the New School for Design. Okay. Yeah. So I stayed one year there and then went back to Brazil, graduated and moved here right after. But it was like, it was very close to, we were very close to moving to the US because I had Mm. just been and um, I was very well integrated with society, I'm going to say, with the culture. Everything was very um, comfortable to me. So we considered going to the US. But um, we ended up in Germany. <laughs> I see. Okay. And when you say you've said we through this whole time, this is you and your partner. It, me and my partner. Yeah. We've okay. been together since 2010. <laughs> wow. And how yeah. old were you then? 19. When we when we got together, it was 19. Yeah. You were 19 when yeah. you met. And is he Brazilian as well? He's Brazilian. Yeah. Wow. And I always find it really crazy because I'm one of those people that, do you know, there's a couple in school, they're together since, uh-huh. I don't know, middle school. And you're like, uh-huh. what is this, you guys? Then they get married and you're like, oh, I would never do that. They have right. reverence and nonsense. And I always thought that. And then we met in my, in my first year of university. Uh-huh. We've been together ever since. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And he's, or did you say he's a professor or a lecturer uh, at an a- engineering school in Dresden? No, he's a, a researcher oh. in the aerospace. Um, wait a moment, aerospace engineering institute. Okay, yeah, the German Aeros- Aerospace Institute. Yeah, he's wow. a he's a researcher there. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. I've got that cleared up, and now let's go back even. Mm-hmm. Let's go back even earlier. So tell us 
um, where you lived in Brazil and just what it was like around there. Like I'm looking out the window. I could describe it. Describe um, oh, where you lived. Yeah. See, I this is like the choice. The voice always changes when I bring yeah. up somebody's child home. The voice always changes just like right. you just did. Tell me about it. Well, I lived, I think, in the most beautiful place a person really? could possibly live. Um, wow. So I come from um, very far south Brazil. Mm-hmm. It's a small island called Florianópolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lots of sunshine, <laughs> lots of um, seafood and and the beach. And it's very different kind of life also, right? Very um, remote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's our, the state capital. So it's not oh. remote, but it's a different lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? Um, Tell me this again. Is it Fernando de Noronha? No, I'm it's Florianopolis. You write F-L-O-R-I-A-N-O-P. Oh, man, am I lost? No. P-O-P. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> It's too long for oh. spelling. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Oh, it, so it's it really is... far south. Wow. Yeah. And mm. it's t- tiny, like in comparison to to European cities, I guess it's not that small, but for in the proportion of Brazil, it is tiny. It is really small. Wow. And and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It really is. Mm. And I lived there pretty much all my life. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I see this blue, blue water and these colorful yeah. buildings and then almost, um, but a lot of green as well. It is. It's very, very green. And it's, I truly, I truly believe that I had the chance to live where everyone goes on a holiday. <laughs> wow. Because it's, it's, it truly is beautiful. Um, a lovely nightlife and um, it is, it's a fun city. Really beaches. Fun. It says yeah, there's beaches 42 everywhere. beaches. Yeah. <laughs> beaches everywhere and a lot of surf culture and wow. and and seafood galore. Man, <laughs> did you did you yeah. surf growing up? I tried. My dad did. Really? Um, yeah. And I tried for a little bit, but I'm from all the things that I can do, sport is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> completely. Completely unskilled for sport. Like I've, I did try it, but um, but I didn't. So we did go to the beach with my dad really early. Mm. Sometimes my mom would pack us in the car before the sun was up, so because he wanted to get there uh, when the waves were good. And a lot of the times it was really early in the morning, so wow. we would wake up. Um, and and that I remember it always very fondly that I would open my eyes and I was sitting on on this um like beach recliners you know what I mean mm-hmm, like those mm-hmm, beach chairs yes of course mm-hmm. and and I would open my eyes and I was at the beach it's like the best feeling because you're like wow. you were asleep and then you're suddenly you're in the best place which is like sun and, and wow play. yes oh really wow good. what an amazing feeling yes to just mm. wake up and you think it's a dream but it's not it's but your it's life not, it's real right <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly like the kind of thing that you think it's a dream and uh-huh. then it's like no wait I am actually here and it's the best and then my mom had snacks uh. And so it's like, it's the 
I can 100% can confirm that is the best way to wake up, especially if you're a kid, right? Oh. You're like, you're, you're, you, I didn't even, of, of course, probably I did notice that I was being carried to a car. Um, mm. But then you wake up and it was like 6 a.m. The sun was like um, mm. beginning to rise and and my dad was surfing and we were at the beach and eating and, and mm. having just a blast. And then they thought it was good because when, when everyone started coming like at around 10, 10 a.m. when the beach was getting crowded, we were ready to go. And my mom was like, yeah, everyone's going to have a quick shower, get in the car, going home. And you still had the whole day to play. And it was what the an rest. incredible yeah. memory. <laughs> yeah. What an absolutely incredible memory. How warm would it be when you would wake up? Right. What was it warm when you would wake up on the beach chair? Um, yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Brazil mm-hmm. was overall very warm. Um, we do because we're so far south, mm-hmm. um, a lot of our beaches are cold water. So mm-hmm. um it was never like I, I wouldn't say it's like the most comfortable swimming experience, mm-hmm. but you get used to it. So I don't mind it. I don't mind the cold waters, but mm-hmm. um but on the beach itself, it would beach, be very warm. Yeah, it's warm. And you, but you know, mm. with that kind of, um, the, the kind of summer breeze, mm. which is like the the best. Mm-hmm. I, I find it really, really lovely. I still, mm. I always say that the thing that I miss the most about, not, of course, my family first, but mm. <laughs> um, mm. second would have to be the sea. Because I love mm. being near the sea, and I was I lived my whole life near the sea, and I just I miss it. It's like it's the whole thing for me. It's the whole I go we go on beach holidays, mm. and it's still not the like, same. Oh, it's I I no, it is like it's that that feeling of being grounded. You know what I mean? Mm, I because see. Because I because I always had it, and you gravitate towards it. Mm-hmm. And because we you live in an island, I know that if I walk in any direction long enough, I will find it. I will find incredible. The sea. And wow. and I miss it. I miss it here because I do feel mm-hmm. like a, to in lack of a better term, a fish out of water. Mm. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. I do miss it and um, mm-hmm. having that connection. So every time we go on a beach holiday, I'm I'm looking for the sea because I just mm. want to feel that grounding feeling of mm. having it just being in the water mm-hmm. and having that really intense feeling, that really intense power of the waves, you know, and mm-hmm. it pushes against you. And I find it so lovely. Yeah, mm. I do. I miss it terribly. <laughs> mm. I can, can hear that. <laughs> I can. I can. I can tell that. Yeah. Mm. Now, how about um, schooling where you grew up? Were you, well, it's interesting when you were talking about food and turning towards it um, after your mother had died and during uh, the quarantine in Germany and everything, it uh, struck me that a lot of people turn to food because, um, again, there's something very primal about just uh, taking care of our most fundamental needs, um, and people turn to food for flavor 
and I think for the tactile experience. But it's clear to me, even when you were talking, that for you, there was an additional element that isn't there for everyone else, which is the beauty of it. And you were had to take beautiful photographs of it. You had to depict it beautifully. And I'm I'm guessing that from a really young age, you're and you talked about your sense of style and fashion. And of course, you were an architecture major. So I'm guessing from the beginning that the arts were really um, where you shown at school, arts and languages, probably everywhere, but those as well. Am I right? Yeah, I think I think I've been um, an art um, kid all my life. Mm. I was always drawing. I was always doing something. And I am still like that. I was telling my partner yesterday that um, I think... I believe I can do anything because my parents were very encouraging when I was growing up. And mm. at some point, I just started to believe it. I'm like, I wow. can do anything. I can do painting. If I want to, I can do sculpture because they encouraged me to pursue mm. whatever. So if I decided that I wanted to do drawing, I would draw and they would encourage me to go that direction. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to try painting um in canvas and they were like yeah let's do it and then I did painting and then I did a lot of I was able to explore a variety mm -hmm. of um of uh, media I would say I tried a lot of things um I did get my first camera very young so mm -hmm. um I had um I started analog photography very young mm -hmm. as well and I was always interested, interested in processes, interested in taking photos. I was, I think I was destined to be an artist of sorts, mm -hmm. right? It sounds that way. Yeah, I was. And I, when I um, decided to go to university, the, the thing that I wanted to study was art. I didn't mm -hmm. want to necessarily to be an architect. I wanted to study, um, how do you say? I don't remember how you say it in, in English. Um, like an, I wanted to be an art art major just in general and do um, art. Did you want to make art or did you want to do art history? No, I wanted to. I wanted to make art. Mm, I didn't mm -hmm. want to do any art history studying. I was mm -hmm. like, no, this is. I, I meant to make stuff. I like mm -hmm. making. I'm a maker from yeah. birth. I've I've been making all my life. I I mm. love making, and mm. and my dad was like, do you know what? Maybe. You can do that, but just get a degree before, like get okay, right. a solid degree. I and he wanted, sure. he, so he was like, you can do, you can be an architect and you can make art, but you cannot do the other way around. So you cannot. <laughs> there so is get, some truth to that. Yeah. So he was like, get a degree. Let it. Mm -hmm. Let's see where it takes you. Begin. If you hate it, you will think of something else. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started architecture. And I loved it, and of course, my school was very much, um art oriented so a lot of conceptual and a lot of political and philosophical thinking as well which appealed to me greatly because I love thinking so mm. it worked well from the beginning and mm. then I got the opportunity to study in the U.S. and I went to the new school which is also even in the architectural um, design program very much art oriented so it was the first time that I was really encouraged to take drawing classes and take photography classes and not just take mm. the 
architectural design classes, Mm -hmm. like not only be in the studio designing buildings, Mm -hmm. but going outside and, and drawing and looking at stuff. So Mm -hmm. that, those, that year, those two semesters, I, I was taking all sorts of classes. I was taking, I really branched out and I did feminine studies. I did, um, um, some art history there, some urban um, design history, and then I did a lot of drawing. Uh, really, like, <laughs> so more you than really I really got. Yeah, you got to because um, architecture has such a practical side and you got to yeah. just be completely creative. Yeah, they were, and they were so encouraging of like, go crazy. You do mm. whatever, like find mm-hmm. the class that really speaks to you and this is the one you should take so i was doing uh every day um excuse me every week um i would go drawing at the met on wednesdays for one semester and then every week i would go going uh i would draw at the moma for one semester so mm-hmm. i would i was drawing and looking at art and i took photography and i took um painting and I did all sorts of things and it was so wonderful because at that point I decided that oh my god you can do all of this right mm. this is this is a possibility that I feel like at a in a very young age we get very narrow-minded and you're like this is my this is my path I'm gonna mm-hmm. just follow this because right. this is right after I think when you get out of high school you're really like trying to just figure out how do you how can you be an adult that functions right. and does more or less well, right? You want to just have that done. So I was in that path and then I got to that fork in the road and it was like, wait a second, there's a million other paths that are possible that I haven't been looking at just yet. Mm. And and really allowed myself to kind of do and and go further and see further, right? And that's an so amazing I, opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I highly encourage anyone that can live abroad, even if for one year, one semester, or even a month, if you can. Mm. Um, just because you it opens you were up, able, right? Yeah. Do you think you were able to be more creative because you were living in a new place? Oh, definitely. Interesting. Of course, in the in the beginning, I was very, um, I was very scared. That was the first time that I was really, really living on my own. So mm-hmm. out of my parents' home and had to manage my own money and mm. manage things, house things that I was not used to doing. And there's all of that. But at the same time, you lose your ground, right? When mm. you move away. And then it kind of like it opens up everything. Like you, it, when you don't have that path that is so visible that you had you, you, that mm. one road, I didn't have that anymore because mm-hmm. I was somewhere completely new and I had to mm-hmm. discover everything com- com- from the beginning. I had no idea. So it's the it's that chance, right? It, everything is new. So might as well do something new and might as mm-hmm. well see it in a different perspective and I think that to me that changed everything like all my my paths from that point on were changed because I was a different that's so interesting thinking so differently and and seeing so many other possibilities right a lot of people talk about freedom and crave it but you kind of really experienced it yeah I I was very fortunate first Mm -hmm. of all because I had a scholarship right Mm -hmm. 
um, which was wonderful in immense mm-hmm. many um, preoccupations were already mm-hmm. resolved for me mm-hmm. right I didn't have mm-hmm. to think mm-hmm. about a lot because I was in a scholarship and I had mm-hmm. my future more or less um, secured no mm-hmm. matter what I did so I did of course there were restraints because when you were in a scholarship there are things that you have to do for your mm-hmm. scholarship and I had um, grade requirements that had to be met and then I had attendance requirements that had to be met but within that um, program I was allowed a lot of freedom which was right. extremely fortunate and I'm right. so grateful because I don't think um, I don't think I would be the same person if I wasn't allowed to to have that that mm-hmm. or maybe I would I don't know okay. I would take a different path right but mm-hmm. um, I was I was really allowed. you wouldn't have had the same experiences for sure definitely definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Um, so, sorry, let me go back to this then. I've been so just enjoying what you've been saying. <laughs> um, let's go back then a little bit. Do you mind to talking about um, Brazil and you brought up your mom and your dad? Tell me um, who you, tell me who you lived with there and tell me just a little bit about each of them. It sounds like yeah. sort of an idyllic family life as well. I did, I, I did have a, so my family, um, it's very small. It's only my dad, um, my mom, um, me and my brother. Um, and only, so that my immediate family, right? My mm-hmm. brother and I are the two kids and my parents, but my parents have many, many brothers and sisters. Okay. So it's a huge family. So us And they all family. lived in that city. No, they live all over, so okay. it was pretty spread out. And but in in our city, we had um, I had cousins, and it's like a small, but still a small family, right? Mm-hmm. We're not like a super, um, a super huge family. Although when we had like a really a family meeting, like everyone, it was like a hundred people, like so many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was that a regular thing? Family meetings. Once a year, more or less. Oh, yeah. wow. But it's and like, can you imagine Christmas with 100 people? <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. <laughs> what yeah. a special thing, though. Yeah. And my, um, so my mom was also a physicist. Like, Oh, yeah. oh really? Yeah. Yeah. My wow. mom was a physicist and um, she moved um, from the, the, how can I say it? Oh, like the she lived in a very small town in our state and she moved mm-hmm. to the capital to study at the uni I and see. and she studied then physics and she met my dad in college and okay. my dad well his family is from our city so they were born raised there and wow. my mom was the outsider she came from a different city um and they met um they, they met in a Bible group. Yeah, Bible really? study group. Yeah. Wow. In the university, because my dad back then, he was he was like leading this group, like oh, leading a Bible study group. And she uh-huh. joined uh-huh. and they met and they were friends. And then they they loved each Fell other. In love. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. yeah, they got married and I was born right after. And mm. then came my brother and my mom went on. Uh, a lot like me to study then um she studied law 
and she then graduated, worked as a lawyer. Um, wow. My dad is a state attorney. Wow. And and then she studied French literature. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, a lot of this ongoing education was a huge part of what you were raised with. Yeah, definitely. My family, they're all. Um, my dad also had a PhD. My mom as well. So wow. um, it's a lot. Studying was very encouraged, mm-hmm. and and you um, saw them do it as well. Yeah, definitely. My my mom was a teacher at the university. She she had a um, a chair as a professor. And my dad wow. as well. So did she teach law or physics? My mom taught law. Yeah. Wow. So she taught physics in to an elementary school. Uh-huh. before joining um before beginning again like with a law yeah. degree yeah so she but incredible. she did she loved she 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 was incredibly smart like really really mm. really smart and and she did that and then i was born and then she decided to study law and then she had she had a chair as a law professor at the university and then she decided to go into french literature yeah incredible yeah and they uh, always encouraged, sometimes I think the arts and academia are pitted against each other. Maybe that's a very American thing, but they always encouraged your interest in the arts. I think I was like that. They could not do anything. Do you uh, know what I mean? I was that yeah. kid. And um, they could either go against me and and begin a quest for mm-hmm. like a, a quest that it would they would mm-hmm. definitely lose because like mm-hmm. then really we would go against each other. Um, but they, they were wise just, to see that. Yeah, they were very they, wise to see that. And, but they did. So they, so academia and thinking. So our family, our family is a big thinker family, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm. And lunches and conversations are long and we mm-hmm. speculate and my dad mm-hmm. will bring books to the table mm-hmm. and, I do remember the first time my partner was um, with us mm-hmm. in, in a Sunday lunch because we, mm-hmm. our family is very, very close. So when I was not, even when I was not living at home anymore, um, I would come home for lunch every Sunday. So Sunday mm-hmm. lunch is family lunch. Mm-hmm. And Sunday lunch at, in my house was always a very... Um, lively. Yeah, it was a lively affair. And mm-hmm. <laughs> he was then for the first time with our family. And we discussed very... Um, let's say very warmly, <laughs> a lot of fire. Uh-huh. The, the topics that are brought to the mm-hmm. table, and my dad would bring a thousand books and be like, "Read this, read that." And this person said this, and then we would bring more books. And then he, my uh, my partner went home with like this bunch of books, and he was like, "Do I, do I, do I have to read it? Do I have this?" Homework? Did your family just give me homework? <laughs> so like, you just, did I come for lunch? Then game came home with homework, and then he tried to read it in this complicated, like philosophical, sociological texts. And then I was like, "You don't have to read it. You will forget it by next Sunday. Like, never, wow. <laughs> never mind that topic. It's like in the past." <laughs> right, right. Next week it'll be something new, it'll be something else completely different. Mm. Just bring the books back, and it'll be fine. And, but it was like this kind of like. Uh, environment mm-hmm. right so it was like thinking think big ask questions the thing mm-hmm. is asking questions because if you don't ask them you can mm-hmm. never go any further mm-hmm. yeah and so my family and we were very we're still very close um me and my brother as well we're very close and, and does he live in brazil 
he he does he's a lawyer okay. as well yeah oh wow i see yeah everyone turned out to be a lawyer except me except you to... <laughs> <laughs> the weird kid that wanted to study art <laughs> mm, i think it's wonderful just wonderful that your family supported you so much yeah how about cooking was there a cook in your family strangely enough that was my aunt so I, when ah. I was little, my aunt was, um, she was a cake maker, wedding cake oh. maker. Oh, yeah. wow. And I was, she was, um, so my mom had nine sisters. Wow. And yeah. And any a, brothers? No brothers, only sisters. Ten girls. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Ten women and. Uh, Their father. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he always said he loved it because Aww. one of them was always taking care of him, right? Aww. So he was very well taken care of. Aww. And um, everyone kept asking him if he was trying to have a son. He was like, no, I wanted all girls and I wanted all 10. And this is what I got. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it was um, what a so wonderful most of them stayed in their hometown. But one of them um, came early to to our city, to the capital, and um, she was then the the aunt that my mom lived with because my mom I was see. much much younger, I and see. and my my grandma died when I was very very young, so she was sort of my grandma. Do you know what I mean? I she, see. Like, she yes. took that role, and then yes. my mom would be working, and mm. I would stay with her. So I see. She, yeah, she was like a lot of my my caretaker, oh. and she would make cakes, right? She was like okay. a cake. She was a cake maker. She would make those. Do you know those ninety cakes that are really really big? And like, oh yes, uh huh. <laughs> those like giant cakes. So I was always making cakes, and she would let me do the cake making with her. Like so, I was okay. always um, doing a little task, right? Something mm -hmm. small was always there for me. So mm -hmm. she was the one that I think brought that into my life. Although when we talk about it, she doesn't think she taught me anything. And I'm like, how can you think it didn't like, but she doesn't see it, but I see it very clearly how much of an influence that was right in my life. Because she was just going about her normal day and bringing yeah. you into it. I'm, her I was goal, just there. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And she, like, she was not teaching me things. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't think she taught me anything. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I, but I'm like, no, you did. But that was like so necessary because I was there because my mom was working a full time job and 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 teaching and studying and and I was little and she cared for me so so generously. So oh. yeah, and then I've learned so much and I think I was not a very good baker until I actually decided that I really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. So but then it all came back like it came it, i did learn mm -hmm. so much from her yeah you it, can't bake so much from instinct until you've really laid a deeper yeah. foundation uh i yeah. think then for for cooking well how about this um chocolate carrot cake did your mom yeah. make it or your aunt my mom made this so interesting this is, i always say this is the mom cake okay in Brazil, right okay. it's like it's a very it's a very simple cake Mm -hmm. And I think it's different because all the carrot cake that I had in mm -hmm. Europe and in the U.S., they were uh -huh. very 
spicy. It had mm-hmm. a lot of cinnamon mm-hmm. and shredded carrots, and they almost they are really dark in appearance because of mm-hmm. all that carrot. Very and, orange, yes. Yeah, all the uh, brown sugar and things that go mm-hmm. in it. In mm-hmm. Brazilian carrot cake, however, it has um, it's blended, so the carrots get blended. Mm-hmm. in the dough so it's like a super easy cake because you will mm-hmm. blend all of your liquids in a blender until i it's see like super smooth and frothy mm. and you get to mix that in the in the dry ingredients and you bake and it's like the e- easiest thing you right can make. it so did look yeah although the marbling i'm slightly concerned about <laughs> <laughs> no you'll be fine just like a normal marble <laughs> I know, but I, marbling sometimes can take a little more artistry. I mean, because you're so artistic, but sometimes marbling, you're like, have I done too much? Have I done <laughs> enough to get just that right swirl? You know, I might need to do yeah. it a couple of times. But um, it's like, it's such a simple thing. And so mm. I think it's like a really mom, mom style cake, mm. because to me, it was the cake that my mom would make that would come about really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like it's a snack cake, do you know? Something mm-hmm. that you could have like for coffee and, and mm-hmm. it's always like a very... Um, you just have it there because it comes together so quickly. It's so it's quickly. almost like here how we just make a pan of brownies to take yeah. somewhere yeah. or something. Um, now, did she make it swelled with the chocolate and with the chocolate no. glaze? That's your own addition. So that is my... So the the traditional Brazilian chocolate cake, um, mm. carrot cake, it has a chocolate glaze, but it's a mm-hmm. very sugary chocolate glaze, one that crackles. Oh. Do you know what I mean? When you oh. have so much sugar in a glaze that it will get hard. Yes. Crackle completely. Okay. Um, this is the traditional one. And usually mm-hmm. you don't bake it in a bun pan. You bake it in a in a baking sheet. Like I a, see. Again, like, because it's a quick snack cake. Because it's a snack cake. Right. And then when you cut it, that glaze will crackle completely. Mm. And kids love it because it's mm-hmm. so sugary and mm-hmm. crunchy. Yes. Um, however, um, I found like with like over the years, I stopped liking the sugary crust. Mm. I like it a little a little more chocolatey and mm-hmm. a little more decadent. Mm-hmm. So I started making my own adaptations. And that when the marbling came about, because I was like, ah, oh, let's try a little, like mm-hmm. a little chocolate bit in the middle. So that has like that bitterness of the chocolate that I mm. think goes so well with that carrot because the carrot is so sweet um, mm. by nature, right? Mm. Um, so this is, that was my own kind of, um, decision to 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 um, spin it right and make it mm. like marble cake and but it's still very familiar flavor I think I love I that yeah. yes I love that well I um so I'm supposed to meet my parents for lunch in 20 minutes so oh. <laughs> I I should I should get off soon wash my face yeah. put on yeah, some definitely and head oh, out sorry but that I took so no I'm so. <laughs> So glad for every minute of this conversation, but I'm hoping I want to just ask um, a little bit more about the cake and then just look, look to the, um, just ask about home for you, just those last two questions right now. Mm -hmm. So are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So I really actually want to read this into your introduction. I, I don't, I I always form the introduction after looking, listening back, but um, I, I just thought, wow, what a, what a thought. I mean, it doesn't surprise me as 
you know, an artist and now someone who has studied art so deeply, but just what a thoughtful submission. And I just want to read this and then see if you have anything you want to add to it. But you say, the marbling is a really good metaphor to represent the person you become when you live abroad. I find the flavors work together to form a whole, but you are distinct enough to never fully disappear within each other. This is how I see myself at the moment too, made up of different cultural streams that flow together for the most part, very harmoniously. So do you want to add anything to that? And then I just want to end with the question of what is home to you now? Yes, home. Um, for a while, home was my partner a lot because we mm. moved into this, we embarked in this adventure together mm. and wherever I could find my comfort, my comfort was where he was so mm -hmm. he was my comfort wow. um wow. of course that um with time and like i said that um i do think i've incorporated so much of the places i lived and the things mm -hmm. that i've experienced it made this person that i am that i could find home in myself a little bit wow. right i can find that anchor um within myself of course wow not always right you feel mm. lost like um i think like everyone does and then you reach out to family and you reach out to the people you love and you try to gather those things that make you you and put them in sight so you can say okay this is this is me this is home and mm. i do find a lot of comfort in 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 myself right now mm -hmm. also um, losing my mom um, mm. young I think um, my mom was very young she was only 55 so mm. she was very young and we had such a deep connection with each other mm. and going through the process of mourning and trying to figure out how what am I now that she is not here and I found so mm. much of her in me right in mm. the way that I am, the things that I do, in the way that I think, um, that I've been finding myself at home um, in me mm -hmm. constantly because I feel that presence. I feel mm -hmm. the people that made me, mm -hmm. my dad and, and my brother, the people that made me who I am, mm -hmm. um, they live within me mm -hmm. always. So mm -hmm. that is some, some, sort of, some sort of home, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Home is ultimately people. It is. Yeah. Mm. Hope That's it's not as really strange. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't sound strange to you at all. Because yeah. right, like if my if my family wasn't here, um, really, what would this place mean to me? It would certainly, like you said, like the the feeling of the water pushing against you. And I'm sure the sound of yeah. those waves crashing, they bring all that back. But what that means is you were with your mom. She had snacks. You saw your dad surfing. It's all definitely it's memory, right? This it's, is what we're made of. Them. Yeah. Um, and, and it's mm -hmm. so, and also so comforting to know that you carry so much of this people with mm -hmm. you. And, and when you make a cake and when you make some food of the family a family member that someone taught you you make it 
you you get those that outfit that was your mom's or mm. your grandma's and that bag and then you have a little note do you know what i mean it's a way of memory we're so made of of the the things that we lived and the smells and you don't remember like i, I was thinking the other day that i don't remember how her hands look like but i do mm. i remember how they feel do you know mm. so those mm. things they live within mm-hmm. us so deeply mm-hmm. that we I, I keep going on and on and finding home in those things in those mm-hmm. memories and those little bits and sometimes mm-hmm. it happens like really suddenly you're washing the dishes and then you smell something a little bit mm-hmm. of rosemary like a sniff that comes through the mm-hmm. window and then you're like oh wait a moment mm-hmm. this is this is that person this is mm-hmm. this is home right yeah, it's true. I always tell that my family laughs. <laughs> I say I never, so I grew up next door to my um, paternal grandmother, mm-hmm. my father's mother. And we were really, really close. And sometimes I I feel myself the way I can see her. So, And it's always when my grandmother had these huge, she called them pocketbooks, not purses, oh. but pocketbooks. <laughs> and she would lose her keys in the bottom of them. And she would like root through and take yeah. stuff out trying to get to her keys. And sometimes when I'm looking for my keys, I feel the way my shoulders are and mm-hmm. I can see I can see her and I'm like somebody looking can see my shoulders kind of hunched the way hers yeah. are as she holds the purse. And yeah, you just feel um you oh. feel the memory, right? It is you so feel, you feel the memory. Yes. You mm-hmm. you feel it in you. And and I think that's mm-hmm. so wonderful because mm-hmm. it creates like you you notice that mm-hmm. there's a connection between people that is just there and it's mm-hmm. unbreakable. It is just mm-hmm. it is within you. And and mm-hmm. I'm sure within the other two, right? They mm-hmm. they have a different they have that thing. And it's so mm-hmm. special, I find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate this conversation so yeah, much. Oh, I've enjoyed every second of it. I I learned even more than I was hoping to learn. Um, and so I'm grateful. I can't wait. I was hoping to make this carrot chocolate cake <laughs> yesterday, so I would have um, tried it once, but I'm going to make it this afternoon as soon as I get back from lunch. Um, oh, I, I do have just... It. Oh, I know I will. And I'm going to tell Jack, um, he he volunteered to make lo- um, dinner last week for his, um, his, actually a Bible study group that he was going to, but he uh, somebody else had already volunteered, so he made dessert instead. And I'm going to send him this cake and say, Aww. like, everybody in your group will understand <laughs> the metaphor of this cake. You've got to make it. So yeah. I think um, I, I think even just the connection to him being there, like this yeah. cake means something to me now um, personally Aww. as well. Well, for because of that overlap, but just one super quick question. Sorry, when you said um, you blend up, so are you saying like the carrots? You shouldn't have any carrot texture at all. It should be purely liquid. Is that even possible with a blender? Yeah. So when you blend it, um, mm. it will you will get like some really small bits, but mm-hmm. they are so fine. You will see it. Okay. I will make. I will do the thing. I will make it, and I will send you a picture because it's it gets really liquid because the amount okay. of because it's eggs and oil mm-hmm. and sugar and you yeah. blend those together and you blend the carrots and they get really really small blend and blend so blend when okay they, when they bake mm. and you can like blend it to oblivion i usually mm. blend it bef- before the oil i think but it doesn't matter because okay. the thing is you will get 
you don't have any flour there. So you don't have any gluten development. So we can, I see. you can blend it, blend it, blend it. And then you just have your flour sifted in a bowl mm-hmm. and you just like gently, gently, gently mix it. Yeah. Okay. And okay. then you will just like be, it, it's a very, you may find it strange that, that it gets really liquid. It It's fine. Okay. And okay. If you, if you have like, if you're a little bit afraid, you can um, do a little less than 200. I would do like 180 grams of okay. carrots peeled. Um, because then sometimes, like if the carrots are too big and they weigh too much, the the cake gets really heavy. I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like and a zucchini, kind of like a zucchini bread. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put too much and then it gets really dense, mm-hmm. almost a little bit gluey. Especially yeah. if you also don't cook long enough for all that moisture to evaporate. Yeah. Okay, well, I can't wait to make it when I come back. Oh, home. I'll let you know I'm how so it goes. Excited. <laughs> I am so sorry because I know editing Becky when you hear it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, B, I think I'm going to release the whole thing. Honestly, people are interested in hearing and it was just a wonderful conversation. Oh, I enjoyed glad. it so much. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. A huge congratulations on being thank done you. your dissertation. I hope you enjoy the rest of your sunny weekend. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You too, B. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Listeners, thank you again for listening to the end. As always, I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you to leave us five-star review um, of the podcast in your favorite player. Also to subscribe to the Storied Recipe newsletter so that every Friday you will receive um, a version of the newspaper, a volume of the news uh, newsletter, where you will um, hear about the latest episodes, the featured episodes, the featured recipes, and also weigh in on future episodes of the Storied Recipe podcast, who and what you would like to hear about. I think that's it, and I hope you have a great week, my friends. <laughs>